What's up, everybody? It's The Hobby with Cage, Episode 7. Um, jump on here today. I was going to have a guest for you today, but the guest is being pushed until Friday. Um, you know, so a little sad about that, I got to tell you, but it's worth the wait. A couple more days now. We're doing kind of Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, it's Wednesday. News was posted yesterday, the Hobby News. I actually posted it Monday night. Got a little jump on it. I'm trying to figure out when the best day you guys want me to post that Hobby News. You want it on your Tuesday morning commute in, your Monday night commute home. I, I don't know what the what the best place to put it is, but it was a fun one. We had everything in there from Jeff Wilson to Hezbollah. I want to talk about that card. I want to talk about some other fun stuff. Um, I also want to talk about, you know, if you look at the title of today, emotional auction buying, and just have some conversations about cards that I don't think enough people have. Um, you know, you, you got folks listening to this, um, you know, who are in interesting positions. Not every every collection is different. They're kind of like snowflakes, right? But I would venture to guess that, um, you know, if there's one common thread to a majority of people who are within earshot of this and listening to it now, it's that there are cards that you purchased in the last year or two that are, you're underwater on them. And what do you do with those, right? And it's kind of something I wanted to talk through using, I would say, you know, kind of real world examples uh, from my own collection, just so that you know that you're not alone, right? Um, you know, and, um, you know, not every card purchase you make with the intent of potentially selling it for more, um, even if you didn't make that, you know, at the time, you know, your your taste change, not everyone's going to work out. Um, I saw a fun stat the other day about Michael Jordan taking, I think it was like 900, you know, game winning shots. That's how many shots he took, but he only made a hundred and something of them. But that's a stat you don't hear too often. What you hear talked about are, you know, his clutch shots, his game winners, the shot, those hundred chains that he actually made that worked out. Um, people don't talk about the, you know, the, um, you know, the shots that he missed, right? But, but I guess the point there is, you have to be making those shots, right? You have to be out there. Um, you know, taking those shots at the end of the game, taking those shots at clutch time in order to put yourself in a position to make those shots, right? So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that from a collecting perspective and then what you do. So so easy. And we'll get into like Hasbullah and that kind of stuff too. But easy. First example. This is more emotional buying, right? Um I'll give you guys a perfect example of this. And I'm going to give credit, right? Because we've talked about, um, you know, emotional buying. We, we talk about storytelling, creative pricing, you name it. Um, the Wharf Sports Card, someone who we had on our show previously, um, Nick Fredericks, he works for PWCC. Um, last year, he was somebody who was um, putting up a lot of good story posts talking about, you know, cards that were rare and cards that don't come up for auction that often. And he was posting about, if you guys remember, the Reggie White PMG Green and, you know, the football PMGs and the Barry Sanders cards and the Peyton Manning cards and like all these cards that, you know, rubies and legacies and all these cards that just literally don't come up for sale that often. And he would show like the last time this sold was 10 years ago or six years ago and look what it sold for and who knows what it's going to sell for. And I got to tell you, I got emotionally invested in some of those posts. I did. I, uh, you know, I followed the cards and I went on PWCC and I bid on the cards and probably bid more than I should have on some of these cards. And then wait till the follow on emotion really gets, you know, gets, gets started here. 
Um, so I'm going to give you an example, one card. Um, we can look at the Peyton Manning um, legacy, the Flair legacy rookie row zero. Gorgeous card. I almost want to see whether or not I can share my screen here. Let me see whether I could do this. Let me see if I can. Let me see if I could do this for you guys, for the folks who are on. Uh, yeah, let me see if I can do this. Share screen. Uh, yeah, let me see if I can do this. We'll try this here. All right, I'm going to see. I have two. I'm going to try. I'm going to see if this is the right one. Yeah, let's see. Share. So I'll put it up there. It looks like maybe you guys are looking at that screen. I'm hoping. There it is. Yeah, look at that. I did it. So there it is right in front of you there. It is a Peyton Manning, Row Zero. You can see it flare. It's uh, you know a horizontal card. And, you know, he's throwing the, the ball. It's kind of got like a mojo type of print before there was a mojo uh, in Prism. And you look at this here. It is September 4th, 2022. Card purchased for $24,000, even though it has a card letter value of only 17 and change. So you'd like to think, all right, based on what the card letter guys are telling you, that the, the person who purchased this card at $24,000 probably overpaid, right? Or maybe that's just what it was worth back in September of 2022. So here I am. Uh, the person to tell you that I think there are three of these in PSA 10. Pretty rare. There's only 100 of them total, and they're numbered. I am that fool who paid the $24,000 for this card um, back in September of 2022. That's me making headlines there on your card ladder app, you know, showing you that card. You could see it now. Um, you know, lots of fun. So there it is. You could see it if you were on YouTube. Give me a little thumbs up. I think I did that in a way where you were able to see it. Why do we care? Well, a couple things. Number one, as you can see, value of that card is not $24,000. Two, I got in like a bidding figure. I actually said to myself, I think this card is worth about, you know, 18, 19. Maybe I go as high as 20. An extended bidding, 21. Somebody else bid. Now, could I have been being shilled? Sure. Could the owner of the card been the one bidding against me? 100% sure. Could they have a friend doing it? A million percent sure. I wanted the card. I went higher than I probably should have for the card, um, went to the $24,000. But here's where it gets interesting, right? I went on at the time, the PW, after I was done, right? I paid for the card. Now, you know, should I have should I have not paid for the card? Should I have been that guy? You guys know me better than that. It's not me, right? But I got swept up in the emotion of of, of the, the story posts and how rare this is and how there's only 100 of them in any grade and only three here. And I did an episode last year on my own, a little solo episode where I just kind of talked about how Peyton Manning is sort of undervalued and, you know, how he, um, how he, by comparison and price to like, you know, Brady and Holmes and the whole deal, um, that his cards could, you know, could creep up. Of course, not when you overpay the way that I did for the card. Um, it's funny watching the golden, you know, the, the king of collectibles, the golden touch, Peyton Manning's on there talking about like people hoard his cards and you know, why would someone hoard his card? Well, because they, they think it's, you know, it's underpriced in comparison, exactly the, you know, the, the narrative on that, but here's where it gets real fun and where, where your hero here felt like a bit of a doofus. Um, you know, in the aftermath of paying for the card and, you know, seeing the card, I've never seen it. It's in a vault. It's in my PWCC vault. Um, and looking at it and saying, did I overpay for this? Like what, you know, like kind of like going through the, you know, the extended bidding and the battle and the, I'm going to win this. I don't care. No matter what, I'm going to win this. Pay $24,000 for it. And I start searching, looking for, you know, 
comps, looking for other cards, looking for the last time this sold, things that I probably should have done before committing to spend $24,000 on this card. And wouldn't you know it, what I found was a BGS 10. So there's three PSA 10s. I found the BGS 10, gold label, pristine, on PWCC's fixed marketplace. Didn't even think to look there while I was bidding. Didn't think to look there ahead of the bidding. $25,000 for the BGS 10. Amazing, right? Here I am thinking to myself, wow, if I knew that, I, I wouldn't have bid on this and I would have probably just spent the $25,000. Interesting thing is why I bring this up. It, it kind of, the whole world of comps, the whole world of values and what's a card worth and all that stuff. It's an interesting thing, right? Because now the PSA 10 has a $24,000 value and there's a BGS there sitting at 25 and I'm saying to myself, wow, I should have bought that BGS 10 for a little bit of extra money. Because when you have them side to side, that pristine gold label for $1,000 more, you know, a mere 4% increase in price is worth it, I believe. But peel that back a little bit. Take a couple layers off. Now, had I known about that BGS 10 at $25,000, I probably wouldn't have bid the card up to $24,000. Maybe I would have stopped at twenty. Maybe I would have stopped at eighteen, And maybe it was just me and one other person. And maybe the PSA 10 stops at 18 or 20. And then is 25 still a bargain for the BGS 10? It's a, you know, it's, I don't call it a house of cards because that sounds too funny when we're talking about cards. But when you talk about, you know, things that there's not that many of, um, you know, low pop, low count, number cards, you know, one sale, one sale. It's sort of like what we talk about with the rock card, right? Now, in prepping for today's episode, and I was going to pull up the, uh, you know, the PWCC fixed marketplace. I hadn't looked in a while. <laughs> in prepping for it, I pulled up the marketplace. The BGS 10 is still there, but it's being offered at $49,999 or best offer. Doesn't mean, I mean, look, 50%, maybe the guy takes $25,000 you know, still. It's no longer available at $25,000. So, you know, take it the next layer. Maybe that person saw that the PSA 10 sold for 24 and marked that BGS 10, the one highest of all, up to 50 grand or best offer. Who knows? I guess I felt a little bit better when I saw that about my price saying, all right, this is the deal. Here's where it kind of goes off the rails. I'm still somebody who likes to hoard things. I'm still somebody who likes to set collect. And I got deep in a rabbit hole of, you know, um, uh, Peyton Manning and legacy and the legacy is out of a hundred and row zero, row one, row two, row three, and all the other ones that are out there. And after I bought that one, I said, you know what? I want to get all of them. I want to get a row zero, row one, two, and three. I want to get all four. I don't want to get them all in PSA 10. Let me get the run. That'll be my, my Manning collection, right? I don't have any other Mannings. I'll get them all. So I went on eBay and I saw, a row, the same night that I bought my row zero, I, I saw a row three, PSA 10. I think there's three of these also. And I, I it was $9,000, right? It was on eBay sitting at $9,000. I didn't even make an offer. I just hit buy it now. Think about an emotional, like lunatic, no research, no nothing. I was not a, a legacy collector. By the time legacies came out, I had, you know, I had gone off to college and was no longer paying as close attention to the hobby as I was in 92, 93, and 94. When there weren't numbered parallels, there were scoring kings, 
which we can talk about at the end of this episode too. And the other fun ones that I like, beam teams. But these inserts were not my thing. Peyton Manning was not there. Um, you know, I had already kind of, you know, moved my collection into my basement at the time. Um, and I'm, I'm just buy it. What's funny is I think the card was listed on like some other platform for 7,500. <laughs> and, uh, you know, here I am buying it at full ask. I went to a show um, soon after that and someone had an, another copy of this. I think it was the Philly show that I went to um, later in the year. I think it was Philly or Chantilly. might've been Chantilly in like October or, or November. And someone had one of the other three and they asked me 3,500 for it. And I was like, oh man, emotional buying, just craziness. And it leads me kind of like to my thought on this, right? What do you do with those cards? Right? Are those cards I just sit on now? Are those cards I just, I hold? Am I still going to try to get the row one and the row two in PSA 10? I think one of them, there's only one 10. Um, do I hold those? Do I sell my paint mains? What do you do? And it, you know, it got me thinking, right? Like if I sold those cards right now, I would lose money. I would lose money. I would probably lose plenty on that $9,000 purchase that I made for the, the row three, right? Which is a cooler card vertical. I like the card, cool picture of them throwing the ball. Um, I don't know what I would lose. Card ladder, you know, indicates the value of like 17,000 on the row zero. So I'd, I'd lose some on that also. You know, do I just hang on to those? Do I just put them aside and just say, all right, I don't need the money right now? It, it gets me thinking about, you know, when we when we talk about these things like other asset classes, a couple things come to mind. Number one, and I'm doing this for the folks out there who, like me, were buying things last year when the market was frothier, when prices were higher. And you're sitting there now with a card that may not be something that you want to collect anymore. Maybe your tastes have changed. Maybe you were, if we're being honest, buying that card because you thought it was something you could turn around and sell for more and you no longer want to hold that card. I don't know, right? I mean, there's a lot of different types of buying in the hobby, collecting in the hobby, investing in the hobby. And this question, it's funny, this question that I'm asking here on this topic I'm talking about on this episode, it's kind of why we have that investor versus collector craziness that we have, right? There are probably people out there who collect cards who are listening to this now and saying, that's a question I would never ask. Oh, you bought it for $24,000 and now you're thinking about selling it for a loss. Why? Didn't you want the card when you bought it? Wasn't it something you just wanted to have as a collector? Didn't you want to own it? So why would you ever sell it at a loss? Okay, fair, right? Fair. But I believe you can have a successful growing hobby if you have both, right? I don't think it has to be one or the other. And I don't think each individual has to be one or the other. And maybe I purchased that card thinking, wow, you know, <laughs> the wharf was right. This is a steal, right? I'm going to get it now. Cards are going to keep going up. And next year, I'll sell the thing for 40, buying it for 24. Who knows? Stranger things have happened, right? And it didn't happen. It went down. Now, in other asset classes, sometimes you sell at a loss. Sometimes you just do to get out, to take your, your liquidity and move it into something else. And if you go back in, in May of last year, um, and probably May in the year before, we did episodes saying sell for a loss. It's okay to sell for a loss, especially if you're reorganizing your collection or you want to get out of something and utilize that money. 
into something else that you think is more central to your collection or something you think will potentially go up in value that you can sell quicker than what you have there. Think about it with stocks, right? You know, is it or buying the dip, you know, continuing to dollar cost average, you know, sometimes it's not the smartest thing to keep riding a loser down. And I'll tell you, I'll give you a great example, right? I purchased, I remember the scoring Kings, Michael Jordan, um, from ultra, uh, 92, 93, um, where I love that car. It's the lightning strike, you name it. And I remember one selling for like $18,000. I'm like, I gotta get this card. It's just going to keep going up, 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 up. And I picked one up. I think I, I want to say I paid 14 for it. And then, you know, the next couple, I saw one sell for 11. I saw one sell for, you know, 13. I saw one sell for 12. And, you know, I held the card for a little while, but I, I started looking at the sales. I looked at the numbers. I looked at the pop count. And I said, you know what? I think this card's going to continue to go down. And it's not a card that I won't be able to get again. That Manning, where there's a pop three of PSA 10 might be difficult if I sell that card to get it again. And this is something that has to go into the equation, something that has to go into the thought process too. But I actually went and sold my Scoring Kings. And I think I sold it for like $12,000 last year. So you, you want to make fun of me if you can. Like I said in the beginning of this, Michael Jordan took a lot of shots at the end of the game, game-winning shots. He didn't make them all, right? But you have to take those shots to make <laughs> any of them, right? You got to be in it to win it, as they say. And it's okay to take a loss here and there. Right. And I did. I paid 14, sold it for 12. Um, I will tell you before this episode, I went and I looked. I'm going to try to share the screen with you. And hopefully I did it right again. This car just sold last week for like $9,500, I think. And if you look at the chart on there, you can see it. You know, it's one that was 14. And you see it bouncing around in that 10, 12, 10, 11, 10, 12 range. So, that's one where you could look at it and say, all right, Cage doesn't know what the hell he's doing. You know, he overpaid, paid $14,000 for that card, and then sold it for twelve. Well, I could tell you, all right, what if I bought back in last week at $9,500, right? So did I lose two grand, or did I save myself $2,500 by getting out of it at twelve and buying back in at $9,500? Just fun little kind of exercises that we go through on these things as you're kind of, you know, going through your collection. And I know there are folks out there who are, you know, having these questions, having this stuff. Um, I'll, you know what? I'll give my, my, you know, my, 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 here's my million dollar advice when people, people reach out to me and they ask me the same question pretty often. I'll just give it, I'll give it. I don't think I've ever done it on an episode. Um, it's, it's more fun the way I do it with a little dramatics over DM. But I'll get this question. I'll get this all the time. And I do it myself. So I'm not giving anybody any advice that I don't actually use in my own PC. Ready? I say, all right, somebody reaches out to me and say, hey, I have all this collection, all these cards that I bought over the last, you know, couple of years. And, you know, some of it's up, some of it's down. Um, but more importantly, you know, some of it is stuff that I don't, you know, I thought I liked. I thought I wanted. I was going to build a collection of this. And I've kind of moved in a different direction that happens guys you do not have to apologize for that you know you go down a rabbit hole and maybe you start liking wrestling cards maybe you start liking soccer cards 
or maybe as you're watching sports, you know, you came into this and you started collecting Zion, but you watched enough basketball that you realized, I don't want to collect Zion. I'm more of a Morant guy or Desmond Bain is my guy, whoever, you know what I mean? You're allowed to switch it up. This is what it, it's fun. This is, this is what makes this a cool and fun hobby. So he said, what should I do? You know, I want to, I want to clean this up. My, my girlfriend wants the basement back. My wife is going to kill me with all these cards that are here. What do I do? I, I, I say, all right, here you go. Same advice I give to everybody. I said, I want you to make a pile. And the pile can be 15 cards. It could be 100 cards. It could be 300 cards. It could be whatever it is. I want you to make a pile of the cards that if you sold tomorrow, right? If you sold tomorrow, next week, you know you'd be angry. For whatever reason, it would be tough to get that card back. You'd miss that card. So it doesn't have to be something that's a one of one or gold out of 10 you can't get back now. If you have those and those are near and dear to your heart, they should be in that stack. They should be in that collection. They should be in that one pile. I tell people, make a pile. It should be in that pile. That pile of cards should have anything in it that's going to be hard for you to get back and that you'd want to get back. So you could have some one of ones of guys you're no longer fans of. You could have golds out of 10 of guys that you don't love. Um, and they don't have to be in that pile. So it's not just a, oh, what's going to be hard for you to get back next week? It's what's going to be hard for you to get back. And also, what is it going to be something that you miss, right? You know, make sure that pile are ones where if you sell that, that's going to cut a little too deep and you're going to have regrets. You know, next week you're like, I shouldn't have sold that. Not because, wow, I shouldn't have sold it because the price went up, right? Not that, not, it's more of just a, in here, right? That card is one I want to keep, right? People say different things about it. That's a coffin card. That's something I would take with me to the grave. Fine. However you want to phrase it, right? But make that stack. There's no, no um, you know, right number. There's no real right rule as to what goes in that stack because it's different for every collector. You'll know when you go through your cards whether it's something that you want to keep, whether it's something that you are going to be able to replace right, without too much pain and heartache. And I speak like this because that's the way collectors have to speak, right? What is, th these are the cards you're just, you're going to regret selling. Make that stack. And I stop and I say, come back to me when you've done that. That's it. There's no more advice. And you know what? Every once in a while, somebody will come to me and say nothing. They won't even respond because maybe it's too monumental of a task. Maybe they have too many cards to go through and they'll get back to me next year. 90% of the time, it takes a day. It takes a night. It takes a week. But the person comes back and says, I have my stack. And I'll say, all right, how many cards are in it? You know, 17, 102, 43. What do I do next? And this is the easy part, but it's the part that shocks everybody. I say, every other card you have, put it in a second pile. Okay, I've done that. There's 1,000 cards. There's 3,000 cards. That's 400 cards. That's whatever it is. I got that other stack. All right, should I should I make that stack into like tier two, tier three, tier four? Should I make that other stack to this? I said, no, take that stack and sell it. Sell it. Sell every card in that stack. That's right. People are like, are you kidding me? No way. It took me all this time to get him. I said, all right, but you've now been forced. You made a head flip. You called it in the air. You've you have gone through the exercise of building your core PC. You've made a core PC. All right. Those are the cards that are going to hurt you to sell. 
Now, you want to cheat and go back into the second pile and pull one or two cards out that were borderline. I'm okay with that. But here's step three. I want you to take a pen and a piece of paper and write down 10 cards that you don't own right now but would be in that pile one if you did, right? Whether it's a Jackie Robinson 48 leaf in mid-grade or it's a Connor McDavid the cup, right? I mean, whatever cards, within reason, please don't write a mantle PSA 1052 tops or a Honus Wagner unless you got it like that. If you do, write whatever you want. But I'm talking about reasonable 10 cards that are right there in your wheelhouse, cards that you just never got around to buying, you didn't have the money to buy, you know, you name it. But these are cards that should be, you know, substantial cards. And you write that list. And then you realize and you say to yourself and you make that little promise to yourself that when you sell everything in pile two, you will then check off as many of the list of 10 with the money you get from selling off pile two. And that's how you curate a collection. That's how you build a PC of cards that you don't want to get rid of, that you'll regret selling, that will cause you heartache if you had to move them. And now you're going to add one, two, maybe 10, depending upon what how crazy your list is, to that bunch. And you know what's even better when you do that, one, you're going to enjoy your collection even more. You're not going to run into these situations again where you have just built up this slipshod, you know, run amok, built a whole bunch of collections of, of the starts and stops PCs. You've now focused your collection. You probably will spend the best, the, the, the next six months or a year much more focused because you've put on paper those cards that you actually want. Those are the ones you're now going to have to look for in auctions. You're going to have to seek out from people who are collecting those cards. And you'll have the money to buy those things because you sold off the pieces of your collection that were not near and dear to your heart, not critical pieces in your PC. More people need to do this. I do it myself every six months. And this Peyton Manning stuff that we just talked about, they're borderline right now. They might be in pile two with maybe me sliding them back to pile one because there's plenty of other cards on my list that I would rather have that I might move into that pile that I might write down on that list of cards that I want to own that I wouldn't sell. And it's perfectly healthy to do this, especially if there are cards out there that you bought emotional buying. And so what? You take a loss. You write it down when you pay your taxes the loss you have on there is offset by your game. I'm not a CPA. I'm not going to get into this. But if you're doing the right things, there will be cards that you sell for gains. There will be cards that you sell for losses. And those things will offset. Talk to your CPA. Talk to your accountant. They'll know that better than me. But trust me, that's the way it works. So anyway, emotional buying in an auction and then how to kind of curate a collection. I've given this advice well over 100 times. And I will tell you almost every time, People come back to me with a huge thank you and usually a picture of as many cards from that new list of 10 that they were able to check off. A nice Nolan Ryan, 1968, you know, rookie card. There's all kinds of fun stuff um, that people are showing me that, oh, I never thought I'd get this. But, you know, once I started selling all of these pieces that I didn't really want, I wound up with enough money to buy some stuff that are now real core pieces to my PC. Important stuff, interesting stuff there. Last topic, because I like to try to keep these things 
you know, 25 minutes, half hour, something like that. I guess we can go over a little bit and we're, we're sitting at 27 and a half minutes. So that's right there in, in the wheelhouse. Um, I want to say I don't understand it, but it's funny. I want to make a post. Maybe somebody out there can make a post on this, right? I'd love to have sort of like a battle, a steel cage match of what I consider two of the weirdest cards that I'm sure people are going to pay for because there are limited editions and numbered versions and color blast versions and all kinds of stuff, right? The two cards, one is made by um, Panini and the other is made by Panini. Um, one's in Prism and the other is in Prism. Okay, wow, we're seeing some some similarities, but where they split, where the difference is. One's in the Monopoly Prism set that, um, you know, still kind of going strong. And the other, I call it almost as irrelevant in my eyes, although I get some pushback when I posted about this in my news story, um, is in the UFC set that just came out, the UFC Prism set. So both of these characters have as many wins in the NBA and the UFC as I do, as you do listening to this. They have as many championships, as many um, MVPs, as many um, appearances in the NBA and the UFC as you and I do. That makes it tough to justify sort of the prices. In the Panini Monopoly, there are cards of Mr. Monopoly. Okay. I mean, sort of like the downtown Santa Claus card, maybe, that people were paying some crazy money for. But do me a favor and take a look at the prices after those things, you know, first hit. And look at the prices now. Mr. Monopoly has like a black one of one and all kinds of parallels and color blasts and all kinds of crazy stuff. I would love a steel cage match between Mr. Monopoly and Hezbollah. I don't get it. I just don't. And uh, pe people have... They've they've commented on my news story about how he's relevant and how people love him and he's got a huge fan base and he's got a social media presence and the whole he's Ian says he's funny. Um I all that may be true, right? And Rex Ryan is a hell of a funny character, also, right? I love him. He was great as a Jets coach, and I think he likes pictures of people's feet. You know, he's a he's 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 an interesting. I don't see people paying a, a, a boatload for his Prism rookie card that had a rookie shield on it in last year's football product, right? He's funny. Um, these gimmick cards, I guess what I'm saying is I don't get it. It does. I will never tell people how to spend their money. I'll tell you what I do. The whole segment we just talked about, about you know curating your collection and kind of going through it and selling pieces, the whole deal. I'm giving advice about how I do it. And when people come to me and ask my advice on how they should do it, I tell them what I do. I'll never go into somebody's pocket and tell them how to spend their money. It's not something that, you know, I try to do. Part of this hobby is everybody has the ability to go out there and spend their money the way they want. That's one of the great things about it. Even if you want to waste your money emotionally on a $9,000 row three Peyton Manning card that you should never have bought. <laughs> me. But this one here, I would love in the comments both ways. Do you agree? Do you do you also find it odd that the prices that are being paid? Like I saw like a twenty five thousand dollar 
for I think it's a gold shimmer out of three, which gold shimmer is fugazi anyway. I mean, there'll be regular gold. There's one of one. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. I saw collectibles guru, my friend white back on Twitter post the black one of one got pulled and I believe it's a hundred thousand dollar card. Okay. That is great. And if somebody wants to pay $100,000 for that and that's going to make them happy, go for it. With what I have here, the audience that I have here and the people who listen, what I would say is that would scare the shit out of me because I can't see that card doing anything value-wise but going straight down like a lead balloon. I think that thing sinks like crazy. I think all of those cards sink once the gimmick has worn off. And a question I haven't heard anybody ask is, is Hasbulla going to be in other releases? I mean, it's great to have a Prism Black one of one and the Prism Gold. Everybody loves that. But is he also then going to have like, I mean, are they going to like take a piece of his hat or something like that and make like a National Treasures RPA? You know, is he going to be in other products? Are we going to have more and more of these cards, these gimmick cards of, of Hasbulla? Maybe. We don't know. We have no idea what's going to end up happening. But what I'll tell you is um, I would be careful, right? History would tell you that, you know, these things, they're usually hot right out of the gate and they tend to cool off. And we have shimmers, and I'm sure we're going to have nebulas, and we're going to have golds and gold waves and, you know, gold sparkles. And, you know, next year we'll have a monopoly. One, I mean, there's just all kinds of craziness out there. I don't get it. I would love to have a conversation about this. I'd love in the comments if you guys, you know, even if you want to tell me, hey, no, you're wrong. This guy's got global appeal. You know, he, he's fantastic. I had a great conversation in the comments and in my post on IG about The Rock. There are a lot of people who came and defended The Rock sale. A lot of people. A lot of people told me I was nuts. Andre the Giant's not worth $12. And, you know, he's irrelevant. And The Rock is the biggest movie star in the history of time. And people came and, you know, we had, a, I believe, a good conversation about it. Same thing here. So there's my topics for you. Curating a collection being careful during auctions to make sure that you are educated about the value of a card ahead of time and not getting swept up in the emotion of that extended bidding, you name it. Take a look at what else is out there and available to you for close to the same price. Don't get swept up. Then curating the collection, making those piles, making that list. Take a listen to that. Um, it, it is advice I've given many, many times. I haven't had anybody come back to me unhappy who has taken that advice. Um, and then we talk about, you know, kind of gimmick cards. Um, I would love your comments about any of those things. DM me if you're going to do that, you know, make a pile challenge. We, I'll walk through it with you. Those are fun. You know, I'd love to see a picture of the pile that you, you know, that you're, you're keeping and then the pile that you're giving away, the pile that you're selling. You know, we talk to where to sell them. I, I've gone as far in my conversations with, you know, going through the items and saying, okay, I would consign this with, PWCC, I can sign this with Probstein. I would sell this one here. I put this one on Instagram stories. You know, if if you're somebody out there that wants a little handholding, send me a DM. We'll see what we can do. Tell me what you think about that strategy. Um, it has worked for me, and I know it's worked for a bunch of other people. Tell me what you think about the Hasbulla thing. And then I got to thank you guys. We added a bunch of subscribers on YouTube. If you happen to watch this on YouTube and you are impressed with my screen sharing, showing a little card ladder action there, give me a little thumbs up on that. Send me a comment, hit the subscribe, like, pound all the buttons, smash them, do what all the kids are doing. Um, 
Ian told me I shouldn't do that. He said he listened to my whole episode and it was mid. I didn't know what the hell that meant. Pound it. Pound. He says pound. I should say pound the subscribe button. Pound it and smash it and do all those things. All right, my friend. He's laughing at me. No pounding. Pounding. You're just making fun. Um, okay. Anyway, guys, I this was a fun one. I had fun. Next episode, Friday, unless my guest flakes out on me again, we'll have a fun guest. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. Thanks, everybody. Take care.